The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Museum Life with Carol Bossert. Museums are important whether we work in them, for them, or simply love visiting them. Throughout history, people have collected things and put them on display to enjoy. But today's museums offer much more than rooms filled with stuff. They provide places to learn and share experiences with family and friends, as well as sanctuaries to unplug, rest, and refresh. On today's show, we'll discuss how museums can remain relevant and sustainable, reach out to new audiences, and remain attuned to cultural and technological trends. Now, here's your host, Carol Bossert. Welcome to the show today. You know, I love Fridays. I guess maybe all of us at the end of a hard week love Fridays. I love it because I get to talk to you and uh, bring you a, a great guest, and today is no different. Uh, I have a colleague and friend that I've gotten to know, actually gotten to know, uh, because I invited him on the show about a year, year and a half ago, and that's Nick Honeyset. Uh, Nick is currently the director and CEO of Balboa Park Online Collab. Collaborative, uh, and he will talk uh, to us a little bit about what that program is. And Nick, I will I will say very humbly that I quote you all the time, uh, and I try to give you attribution. And so this is my blanket. Should I ever quote you and not give you attribution? I'm sorry. Every quote I always make, it's always Nick's. Okay, so we Hi. just want to get that out of the way. Nick, welcome to the show today. Thank you so much, Carol. It's, it's wonderful to be back, and I give you carte blanche to, to quote away. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Nick, uh, yes, you've been on the show before, but uh, please remind uh, our listeners just you know your career path, and particularly since you've made a shift here in the last couple of years, what brought you to the, uh, attracted you to the uh, online uh, collaborative project? Well, I think it's actually been longer than a year and a half because I was at the Getty before, uh, the last time I was on the show, I believe, um, which was nearly three years ago. So time flies. How time flies. Oops, you caught me. So um, I'm a physicist by training. Um, I joined the BBC in the middle, in the mid-1980s to work on their interactive television uh, development I joined um, what would now be called a, stuff, a software startup, but then was just a couple of guys uh, you know, in a small room doing some cool stuff um, out in the UK. Uh, and we, we ended up working exclusively for museums and galleries, building interactive systems within you know, museum galleries, comprehensive touchscreen systems. And this is all starting in the, the late 80s. So despite my youthful looks, I've, I've been around um, for quite some time. Um, I came over to the Getty in... Uh, about 2000, um, as an IT manager and through um, 
some uh, Game of Thrones-style shenanigans, ended up as head of administration in the museum. And uh, three, almost three years ago, I made the transition down to uh, San Diego to take over uh, leadership of an organization that actually when I was at the Getty, I was on the board of, which is the Balboa Park Online Collaborative, which is a, a, a throwback name um, in some respects. And I've been contemplating whether to change the name into something uh, more kind of contemporary. Um, so the, the online collaborative is it's set in uh, Balboa Park. Uh, our offer, offices are in the appropriately named Hall of Champions, uh, which is one of the museums in Balboa Park, of which there are 17. But there are 27 cultural institutions in total in a, in a highly dense uh, concentration. And, and really, the, the, we're a 501c3, so we're a non-profit, and, and really we're a technology consultancy. And we were set up really to leverage the economy of scale in technology and, and digital projects. And so what was happening in the, uh, the mid-2000s, each of those cultural institutions, as they were beginning to understand that you know, digital websites, computers, all that kind of stuff was important, they were individually going to some local funders. And one of them in particular, the Legla Bendau Foundation, said, you know, this is crazy. You were all asking me for the same thing. You all, you all live and work together, you know, next door to each other. So there has to be the, the opportunity of the, of the economy of scale here. So he kind of stepped back from individual giving to the institutions and in essentially invested $3 million over three years to set up a, an organization that would support and service all the institutions in the park. So Rich Cherry, um, just just about to leave the Broad, uh, was the founding director who did a spectacular job of really installing some high-quality technical infrastructure uh, and setting up a whole bunch of you know, kind of relationships with those institutions. And then I, um, there was a, a director in between. Um, I joined the board in around, uh, I guess, about 2011, 12 maybe, and then um, took over the CEO role in uh, 2014. And so we continue to do those things. We have, we have a, we take care of phones and network. We have, we run a help desk, you know, desktop support. We do digital projects around in-gallery stuff and websites. And then since I've been there building more of a kind of strategic consulting arm, which um, those other IT things require us to be, you know, physically close to the institutions because we have to visit desktops to do some of the support. Um, but on the strategy side, while I'm working with institutions in the park and helping them on their kind of individual strategies, but also a broader strategy for the entire park, I'm also working with institutions outside of uh, Balboa Park and indeed San Diego on um, digital strategy uh, for museums. That's interesting. I did not know that uh, that broader part of of your uh, uh, of your activity that you actually are acting as a consultant uh, in uh, strategic planning for for digital technology technologies. Is that actually part of the business plan for? I mean, I think it's interesting that you, it's a non that it's set up as a nonprofit for help within uh, the organizations, but then this sort of broader piece, is that how you can uh, maintain your budget, to be blunt? That's exactly right. So if my, if my pool is only 27 cultural institutions, 
um, it's it's not a big enough pool, and so it's it's a strategic um, initiative. It's a strategic move. Um, I also try and. And so we are required, I'll give you another example of how we're trying to build out the, the organization and the business. So we have, in the park, we have uh, Piction, which is a digital asset management system. We have about six institutions that are on uh, Piction. Um, and so we are required to maintain your know, skill and expertise in, in, a, in that application. So we actually recently just signed a partnership with uh, the organization Piction to provide them with implementation um, services outside of the park. Um, and that's really, again, a, a, a business model of leveraging skill and expertise that I'm required to have and then adding some additional uh, revenue coming from outside the park to kind of expand my uh, my base. That's uh I really think it's intriguing. Are are you aware? Are there any other uh, organizations, uh, <clears throat> museum-based, cultural-based organizations that are trying to create that kind of collective? As you said, you, know, you manage the yeah. economy of scale. The economy of scale. So, so two two strategic engagements I have right now. Uh, one with St. Louis Art Museum, uh, one with the uh, Walters uh, Museum in Walters Art Museum in Baltimore. And, you know, St. Louis Art Museum, and, and we've had very brief conversations about but, about this, but St. Louis Art Museum is actually in Forest Park, where there are, I think, seven cultural institutions. So there's a zoo there, there's a Missouri History um, Museum. There are a number of institutions there that are not quite as densely packed as uh, Balboa Park is, but certainly massive opportunity there for um, uh, consolidation of, and, and the economy of scale. And then actually one of the, one of the reasons that I have a, a, an engagement with the Walters Art Museum is that the director, um, Julian Nachari Alexander, is a former, a former board member of BPOC and, and a former curator in the Museum of Art. And so she's a big part of the strategic engagement is explicitly um, to think about how Baltimore museums may start their own kind of collaborative. So I'm, I'm working in a, in a, you know, with the institution kind of internally, helping them think about a digital strategy, but also in mind is this um, kind of a setup of some form of collaborative environment of shared service, shared resources, and, and collaboration. So, you know, and if you look at some of the, um, and I think we may talk about this later, the Horizon Report, some of the um, trends going on there are around and challenges to solve are around, you know, more collaboration. Yes, I, well, and I've, I've heard you speak on this before, and I, I think that this issue of economy of scale is something that museums have talked about for a long time, and uh, but just haven't had the impetus. It may be because they just, many museums haven't had that, that benchmark uh, uh, or, or model. So I, I would think that as we, you know, look forward to, you know, perhaps more years of belt tightening, it is advantageous not only for our, uh, our organizations, but um, for the entire cultural sector itself. I mean, I, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're an opera or uh, a zoo, you have these, these technical 
uh, issues. And I'm also really intrigued with the, it sounds as if your ability to to focus on infrastructure. I mean, Carolyn Royston was on the show last week and she was sharing her, her plans and opportunities uh, in Boston. And she said that, you know, one of the big challenges is to be able to focus on infrastructure and fund infrastructure. Do you find the same thing that, you know, funders want to do a big shiny project, but really don't want to hear about upgrading your Microsoft office? Actually, you know, I, I have been successful in, in countering that. And I think, you know, all funders want, and I totally, we could talk about the economic pressures that are going to be driving uh, collaboration because I think that's a real certainty. Um, but I think, you know, certainly in the park, the, you know, part of the reason, and, and I had an insight in, into what I thought was required because I was on the board first. Um, but it, you're right, funders do want to be aligned with a big idea. But I think the smaller ones, and that's really where the opportunity arises around some of the more boring infrastructure things, because I think funders with, you know, relatively small endowments, you know, understand that they can't fund big things. But if you can communicate to them that, you know, infrastructure, operational stuff is is key in delivering on, you know, big, um, passionate um you know, leadership projects, then they're more than willing to give you money to, you know, bring us some new computers, update your, you know, office supplies, buy cameras. I mean, I, we've had actually quite a lot of success in those, in, in helping some of the smaller institutions start to play in a, in a larger kind of infrastructure project because some of the small funders are willing to give that stuff away. And I, and I think a lot of it is in the conversation um, you know, the presentation of the of the big idea and how it moves the whole kind of city forward, and certainly in the case of San Diego, and then that they're part of that. And, and I think, you know, you you conveniently, you know, dampen the, the, the details of the gift that is, is coming your way from the foundation and focus on the big idea um, that, that you're communicating and that they're aligning with. So I, I, I've had some, some success in that, but I, I do understand that in some instances, uh, it is it is a challenge. Uh, that uh, thank you for sharing that. I think that that's going to be an important uh, message to to many of our institutions. I. Uh, I think we're going to talk about this a little uh, later on in the show as well. It's something that you and I talked about at the uh, MCN conference, and that's the point is that you have to show how the infrastructure is essential to that big idea, the big mission, the big, you know, hairy goal for the future of the community. And that can't be articulated uh, by someone who doesn't understand uh, that that relationship, meaning that there needs to be someone with an understanding of the technologies and of the technical conversation to have that voice of authority, which clearly you do, uh, but often uh, uh, people in leadership don't. Uh, and I think they're only now beginning to realize that they need to know more than simply calling up the help desk and saying, you know, something doesn't work. Exactly. That's exactly right. Um, so we have a couple uh, more minutes before this next break, and I warned you I was going to ask you uh, 
this question, so it won't come as a surprise. I'm asking all of my my uh, colleagues that uh, that I'm bringing on the show. You know, I'm having sort of a rift uh, the the next month because I had so much time. Such a good time at the MCN conference in in New Orleans, and it wasn't just because it was in New Orleans, but I always learned so much uh, from from you all and uh, areas that I I know that I can continue to uh, to learn about. But one of the questions that came up in in conversation was, you know, this word digital. We throw it around a lot. Uh, uh, we try to use it as an adjective in digital technologies, perhaps digital thinking. But what does digital mean to you? How do you define it? You know, and since, and since we had that conversation, and I was listening to Carolyn, uh, your interview with Carolyn yesterday, and I have to say, it was fantastic to see you in the flesh uh, at MCN rather than, than just hear you on a, on a Friday morning. Um, <laughs> and it, it uh, you know, I, I'm strongly considering, I think you could write a whole book about the word digital, because I think it's, it, it reminds me of, you know, that you know, Eskimos have all these words for snow, and I think the same thing um, applies here. You know, it's definitely, from my perspective, it's definitely a mindset. You know, it's about tool use, and it's about um, kind of cultural philosophy in an organization. But, but I think it's actually much more deeper than that, um, and, and it really is, depending on how you, you define it, I think depends on what your kind of literacy and experience uh, with it is. So the you know the kind of the digitality have a much more advanced understanding of what digital means uh, and, and what it what is required to play in this world. So they talk about digital as being you know a mindset and being nimble and opportunistic and innovative. Um, but then at the other end of the scale, you know, I go into institutions and and when I talk about digital to them, it's you know it's about social media. Um, and so they have a very different, they have a de- very different perspective of what it is. And so there is, really is this whole gamut of what one's understanding of it is and kind of depends on, you know, whether you're at the, the digital native end or the digital immigrant uh, end. But, but it occurs to me at a fundamental level, digital is really about content and information. You know, te- technology is about hardware, and so we used to start, and digital is about content and information. It's really, it's an expression of, to, to me, digital is an expression of technology. And so I, um, it, it, you know, it used to be the um, media and technology. You know, it used to be this pairing of two types of things to communicate something. So, you know, I was involved at AM's Media and Technology Group, and that, would, that had been, that's been around for 35 years right now. But it was, you know, that was how you kind of talked about stuff, which now you just kind of refer to digital. And there is definitely, you know, certainly in the, amongst the digitality, people talk about technology and they talk about digital. And when they talk about technology, they're talking about hardware and infrastructure. And when they're talking about digital, they're talking about, really, they're talking about content and information. But, you know, certainly us consultants and and Carolyn uh, is included, and there's a bunch of, you know, people who've been doing this kind of thing for for a long time. You know, they realize that, you know, digital is about our future and and then what we want it to be. And and we're kind of defining it, you know, leveraging the term digital, which is somewhat understood by the whole community. But we understand it to be getting an organization nimble, innovative, agile and responsive to what's going on kind of outside its walls. 
thank you. That's that's a, a great uh, description and uh, and definition. Uh, I appreciate that very much, as I'm sure my uh, many of our listeners do too. As they, uh, particularly those of us who are immigrants, uh, are are uh, struggling with the vocabulary. And my favorite word, of of course, is digerati. Uh, I'm adding that to my favorite words that should should be in Webster's anytime soon. Uh, so thank you for that. We're going to take well. a sh- <laughs> we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, uh, more with uh, Nick Honeyset. Uh, I I do want to take this opportunity before we go to break to thank all of my listeners uh, and and all of you who have supported this show, uh, including Nick, uh, who really was one of my first guests uh, three years ago. Uh, last month, uh, we broke quite a record uh, with 10,000 uh, downloads of uh, various shows. So uh, it, we've grown from about, you know, 200 to 10,000. So so uh, thank you very much. It's uh, very gratifying to know that you are listening and enjoying the show. So we'll be back in a moment. Uh, stay tuned. This is Carol Bossert for Museum Life. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Carol Bossert established CB Services LLC because she believes in the societal value of museums. Exhibitions are a primary way that museums deliver this value, providing places for exploration, renewal, and conversation. Good exhibitions begin with good content. And at CB Services, we are all about the content. CB Services helps organizations identify, shape, and document the ideas and stories that form the foundation of a successful exhibit. We provide tools that help our clients make good decisions throughout the exhibition development process and get the most out of collaborations with architects and exhibit designers. CB Services offers half-day and day-long workshops to get staff, boards, and communities ready for an exhibition project. Call today to schedule a workshop. CB Services also offers a one-hour free consultation to organizations no matter where they are in the exhibition development process. Visit carolbossertservices.com. Reach out to Carol through Twitter or LinkedIn or call her directly at 240-432-7712. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're tuned into Museum Life with Carol Bossert. To reach our program today, please call 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Or send an email to carol.bossert at verizon.net. Now, back to Museum Life. Welcome back. This is Carol Bossert, and I'm here today talking with Nick Honeyset. And right before we went on break, Nick was uh, answering my question of the month, which is, uh, you know, what does digital mean? Uh, what does it mean to you? And he had uh, a fabulous uh, answer. Uh, 
uh, as always that uh, you know that but that honestly that because the there are so many words for snow there are probably just as many words for uh, for digital and all of its its nuances and granularity but one of the things Nick you said at the very uh, end of that conversation right before we went on break is you were you know you were talking about some of the uh, attributes of of uh, of of thinking about digital and thinking about uh, applications of digital. These are sound very familiar to the values that Coven Smith talks about. And that's, you know, so a nimbleness and agility, a responsiveness uh, that I think is critical uh, for all endeavors uh, in this fast-paced world, but particularly for the cultural uh, sector. And I was really, really pleased to see several sessions at MCN devoted to the issues related to digital literacy and the training of museum professionals, particularly senior management, who at this point are often uh, digital immigrants. And I'm wondering, what's your perspective? How is that kind of training and, you know, it's almost professional development of senior management, not only to understand what we mean by digital, uh, that it's more than your cell phone or it's more than Twitter, but also sort of using this as a way of reshaping what leadership means. So, I, you know, I have about, I think, maybe four active um digital strategy engagements right now. And and so, and they're with institutions of varying levels of kind of competency and literacy. Um, and I think we, what it seems to me is we've, we've got to this watershed moment where a lot of institutions um, have been uh, at the leadership level, have really been not ignoring it, but just kind of casting a blind eye to it. You know, so it's left to... Uh, you know, folks in the trenches and, and maybe, you, you know, middle managers to, to figure all this stuff out and, and they figure it out without much, uh, without much proactive support from above. You know, it's, like I said, it's kind of like a, a blind eye. And, and so, you know, you see a lot of these conversations um, of, uh, at, certainly at MCN and, and other organizations of, you know, folks kind of emerging professionals, you know, been around five, you know, 10 years who are, looking for help and advice about how to kind of manage up and get their leadership, um, you know, kind of stoked about this and, and actually to step up, you know, investment and, and resources uh, to do it. I think in, in part, you know, there's definitely what I see in institutions, you know, the leadership, certainly in cultural institutions, museums in particular, you know, leadership think they should know everything. And I think that's a real problem. And, and certainly when I go in, you know, one of my messages is, you know, we don't expect you to, um, no one's expecting you to know all about this stuff, you know, to know about, you know, digital processes and, you know, the mechanics of social media and the mechanics of, you know, technology infrastructure. Um, but just to communicate that it's really important. And, and I think they do understand that it's really important. You know, it's, it's at a critical mass now and, when, when, certainly when I go into institutions and we start talking about digital, and I mentioned this before, some, some people think it's just about social media. And very quickly, um, they help them understand that really it's about business process when, when you get right down to it, because everything you are doing is literally digital, you know, probably with the exception of maybe your security uh, force. Everybody is, is required to, you know, interact in some form with 
digital, either you know, on, literally on a computer, but as part of some process um, that's going on. And so there's a definitely a kind of kind of calming everybody down requirement, but also a helping them understand how to create the environment for you know digital success. And so it doesn't require that they have to kind of hone up on digital knowledge and literacy. It really is issues of nimbleness and innovation and, and being agile. And really that's their role. And I see a, a great relief um, in, in leadership when when they when they realize that's what their role in this is, that it's not to become some expert in, in technology or anything, but it's just to create an environment where that stuff can happen and let the people who know how to do this stuff, you know, do their job and, and be proactive in supporting them. I think you made a very important uh, point there is they need to be comfortable. And it's... I my experiences in, in working with, with some of my clients now is, is that the divide uh, occurs at that level of comfort and being able to release, I don't want to say relinquish control, but release control. And of course, uh, you know, Harvard Business School and other business schools have talked about the importance of, you know, more uh, streamlined management, more uh, uh, releasing uh, uh, responsibilities down, uh, you know, down the ladder. I, I think that this, this issue of and you know, and very few have done it. Uh, you know, we still manage the way we were managed, uh, just like we often, unfortunately, teach the way we were taught. Uh, I think perhaps that, but this digital issue is really forcing some significant change, and we're sort of in the middle of a of an uncomfortableness. Uh, until I think this next level this of, of uh, museum professionals take on those senior management roles. I mean, would you agree with some or all of that uh, observation? I, I totally agree with all of it. And, and I'm really, you know, I'm really pleased to see certainly the, you know, a lot of this stuff, you know, the trends, the technologies, you know, they, they've matured enough that we start now talking about different things. So, you know, MCN, yes, there was a lot of discussion about technology, but also there was this, you know, even even larger conversation around, you know, human-centered, you know, that whole theme for the, um, for the conference. So it was, it, it's raising, you know, the conversation is raising above that. And we, and we do start talking about leadership now and those kinds of things. And, and, you know, the plan there is that we are encouraging the folks who do understand all this stuff around digital to take, start taking on leadership roles. And actually, you know, and, and I would love if, if more of this happened to move into more administrative roles, because, you know, when, when you look at uh, museums in particular, you know, a, there is a lot of control around you know, emanating from uh, the kind of administrative portion of, a, of an institution. And so having people in those roles who do have, um, a, certainly a familiarity and an understanding with, with technology uh, and digital, um, but also um, perhaps some more fundamental understanding of it. I think it's, um, I think it's crucially important, and, and I'm 
just putting the world out there. You know, any museum technologist who is interested in taking on, you know, administrative um, uh, roles, you know, uh, give me a call. I'd be happy to give you some uh, pointers on, on how to do that because I think it's crucial in moving the field um, forward. I am so glad that you've made that, uh, uh, you've, you, you're willing to, to mentor uh, uh, these mid-career professionals. I, I certainly am too, uh, and I think many many of us are, uh, because if we don't mentor uh, mid-career professionals, there will be no further uh, senior professionals to uh, continue on in, in this, uh, this this cultural world that we we love and com- have committed our lives to. And and so I guess uh, well, one uh, what uh, I, well. I was struggling. I was. Uh, I wasn't going to admit this, but there was one session at MCN that made me sad, and that was a session uh, uh, by mid-career professionals for mid-career professionals, essentially um, casting around to say, you know, we were brought up in in these technology areas and uh, you know digitizing collections or perhaps you know being in a marketing department doing all of the uh, social media stuff, and they don't see a a pathway for them uh, to you know to. Uh, to take those leadership roles, and that uh, that conversation, I was glad it happened. I think that everyone, you know, they sort of cleared the air. But it was very sad to me uh, that uh, here these these incredibly smart people are feel, feeling stuck. Uh, so, what advice do you give uh, uh, mid career professionals who are sort of feeling stuck? Well, you know, I, I guess I'm. A- Bit of a poster child in in transitioning from um, technology to administration, and so, you know, I, I think it's uh, a lot of it was to do with a being being willing to um, change and move, and I think part part of it, and, and I would push back a little bit on those mid career professionals because you, you really are in control of your, uh, your your own destiny and and I think looking expanding skill sets outside of what you're doing at, at every opportunity it is something that you should be doing you know most museums are, are strapped for for resources so you know, volunteering to do some administrative type stuff you know, sometimes you do have to take you know either a lateral move or, or maybe you know if you want to build out your your uh, resume to include administrative stuff. You know, you, you have to be willing to do that. But I'd also encourage, and I think this is largely where my um, transition uh, started, was uh, becoming involved with um, AAM and initially with the, what were then the Standing Professional Committees and, and taking on some some roles there that did require me to um, not just focus, even though it was a technology-focused, you know, uh, committee, you know, take on some of those administrative and leadership roles um, there and get experience in, uh, you know, governance, financing, um, you know, leadership and, and leveraging that at every opportunity as I'm, you know, as, as you're looking around for, you know, career opportunities. You know, I've certainly moved around a bit. You know, I emigrated from the UK, you know, came to the Getty, I moved down to um, San Diego. I definitely think you've got to be willing to, to do that. Again, it's kind of a similar principle, you know, you, you've got to open, expand your pool um, 
of, of what you're, you know, the tool that you're kind of working with. So being, always being open, you know, offering to do things outside of, of your, your skill and expertise, and sometimes that does have to be, you know, volunteering, and then just leveraging the skill sets that you're picking up there to, um, uh, to advance your career in the direction that you want to do. I want to move it. And, and I do understand that there are plenty of situations where it's just, for whatever reason, it's difficult to, to move out of the area that you're in, you know, all those kinds of things. But, but I think it's, um, you've, I, I would encourage folks not to be downhearted about that and, and then not to see that as, um, as a barrier. I, I've been, over the last year and a half, I've been, um, I partnered with a, a startup in um, in San Diego, uh, which and, and I've seen it go. The, the startup is Guru, and they and they were at MCN, um, and and they um, they built this um, mobile uh, platform. But the, the most fascinating thing for me was it was to see somebody come from outside the, the museum community. This guy was a um, uh, a day trader, kind of entrepreneur, business owner, and, and move into a um, an environment that he wasn't familiar with, um, to build, and the way that he, you know, he's a he's an entrepreneur, and I've never been so close to an entrepreneur as I have these last kind of year, this last year and a half, and to see him operate, to see him reach out to everyone to see him question assumptions to always be looking for opportunities has actually been somewhat transformative um, uh, for me and, and I think it translates to you know individuals in their careers to start thinking much more entrepreneurially about um, what uh, you know how to advance their career and, and I don't you know entrepreneurial doesn't mean you know, trying to make money it, it, it means you know moving forward Always asking, taking advice, you know, seeking out the the experts that you need to in order to uh, advance your, um, you know, your own career, um, and it's been it's been really um, fascinating to watch. What a wonderful opportunity! And uh, I think I think the advice uh, that you're giving, and you now have given. Uh, uh, through this this uh, program is is so important, and I often hear from uh, uh, emerging professionals, mid career professionals, that one of their favorite things about this show is the you know whoever the guest answering the first question, because I know very few guests. Frankly, I can't think of one um, who said, "Well." I went to college to study X, and now I'm continuing in a career that is named X. Uh, all of us come from, you know, various backgrounds, uh, from scientist to curator to administrator to consultant to radio talk show host. Uh, I, I, and I, I think, um, and I... I don't want to knock, uh, I don't knock uh, the professionalism in our field through museum studies programs because there are, you know, so many are so fabulous, whether you know, it's great training, whether you uh, are going to be a museum, stay in museums or not, but I sometimes fear that that, you know, that sort of degree mentality gets you into the sense of, oh, well, I trained to be an exhibit designer, that's what I shall be. Is sort of a right. limitation. 
I, I think I think you're right, and, and I think the opportunities that are out there, it, you know, it's certainly if you see some of the trends that are coming down, this whole notion of the gig economy, where I think you really do need to be open and opportunist, opportunistic and, and cross-trained. You know, there's nothing, you know, certainly as, as someone who, you know, hires, looks to hire people, the, the more varied your skill set, the more interesting you are uh, to me. And I think that is certainly, you know, that notion. Uh, and one of the things, I think one of the bellwethers that I see, um, which I'm very excited about, is there's less um, of a requirement, certainly at the top leadership levels, and this in particular, I'm seeing this in, in art museums. If you, if you see resumes now for art museum directors, they rarely now mention the requirement for, you know, Art history PhD, or, or or even a you know a background in deep um, art history research. You know, it's about understanding that the, an art museum is an organisation. You know, if you have a curatorial curatorial staff, you have plenty of art history PhDs going on there. You know, what you really need is a leader who's going to move the institution forward. It doesn't require that they have this. Um, you know, it requires that they they operate in somewhat of a business. Um, uh, you know, business way, because a lot of it, you know, certainly the pressures that are coming, you know, fundraising, all these kinds of things, you know, not necessarily, uh, you know, align with, you know, art, traditional art history kind of curatorial pathway. Absolutely. Very well said. And with that, we're going to take our second break and then more with Nick Honeyset. When we come back, uh, Nick and I are going to talk a little bit about the most recent Horizon Report Museum Edition that just came out uh, and some of those wicked challenges that uh, we're going to be facing in the coming years. So stay tuned. Uh, this is Carol Bossert for Museum Life. We will be back in a moment. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Carol Bossert established CB Services, LLC, because she believes in the societal value of museums. Exhibitions are a primary way that museums deliver this value, providing places for exploration, renewal, and conversation. Good exhibitions begin with good content. And at CB Services, we are all about the content. CB Services helps organizations identify, shape, and document the ideas and stories that form the foundation of a successful exhibit. We provide tools that help our clients make good decisions throughout the exhibition development process and get the most out of collaborations with architects and exhibit designers. CB Services offers half-day and day-long workshops to get staff, boards, and communities ready for an exhibition project. Call today to schedule a workshop. CB Services also offers a one-hour free consultation to organizations no matter where they are in the exhibition development process. Visit carolbossertservices.com. Reach out to Carol through Twitter or LinkedIn or call her directly at 240-432-7712. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You're tuned into Museum Life with Carol Bossert. 
To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to carol.bossert at verizon.net. Now, back to Museum Life. Welcome back. This is Carol Bossert, and I've been having a fabulous conversation with Nick Honeyset. Uh, and I hope you've had an opportunity to listen to all of the program. If not, uh, you will want to go back and listen both to Nick's discussion about uh, what digital means as well as his very important advice uh, to uh, mid-career professionals on uh, how to think about their careers and get the uh, expertise that they need, and particularly uh, those career, uh, mid-career professionals that have digital experience and knowledge. We really need you in the field, so stay in, stay in, uh, and uh, talk to those of us uh, who perhaps can uh, mentor you uh, a little bit uh, bit more. Uh, this is something also uh, the American Alliance of Museums, I hope, takes up again in the future. Uh, but Nick, in the last part of our show, I want to talk a little bit about the uh, NMC Horizon Report. I love this report. Uh, Every year I learn so much. And and what I like about it, of course, is that it sort of breaks trends down into, uh, I love this, long-term or solvable or difficult, and my favorite in this issue were wicked challenges that that are defined as those that are so complex even to define, much less address, but we know they're out there. before we get started, would you just share a little bit with our listeners about what the Horizon Report is? I always talk as if everybody knows what it is. Right. So the Horizon Report is a, um, it's certainly the museum edition uh, has been around about five years uh, now. And it really is a, a kind of a curated view of what the world looks like with regard to technology, specifically in education and interpretation. And it actually came out of... Um, a Horizon Report for Higher Education, which has a much longer uh, history. But it's called the Horizon Report because it, it breaks things down into kind of manageable chunks of, you know, what's, what's immediately important, what's, what's coming up that's important, and then further down the field of, of what you should be, you know, what you should start thinking about. So it talks about trends, you know, challenges, um, and technologies. Um, it used to have a, a kind of a bias towards the technologies, but as those technologies have matured, it's obvious that the trends um, are, are more significant there and, and understanding what's going on there is, is key. But then really the, chan- the challenges. And so the focus of the report is really, and, and the focus of NMC is, is about adoption of technology and new media and, edu- you know, kind of education uh, environments. And so the, the barriers to adoption really are the challenges that the institutions face in, um, in adoption. So now, more recently, the report focuses on those challenges. So there are the solvable ones, which are, you know, we, we, know, we know what the problem is and we know what the answer is. There are the difficult ones where, you know, we know what the problem is, which is having a hard time kind of defining, you know, how to address it. And then there's the wiki ones, which are, we need, you know, we can't define the problem, you know, much less uh, address it. And so those... Those are the real gnarly things that we have to start getting our, um, 
uh, arms around. And, and, you know, the requirement is, is certainly in, in uh, a longer term, because if you look at the, the trends and the, and the technologies, they're broken down, and the reason it's called Horizon is they're broken down to zero. What's important right now, so zero to one years, then, you know, two to three years, and then four to five years. Um, and so those wicked challenges are the ones that really, you know, certainly for the Digirati, uh, the wicked challenges are the, are the ones that are really interesting. Well, and and I would say that that one of the wicked challenges listed here uh, is something that uh, I think, going back to our earlier conversation, holds some uh, senior managers back, uh, and that is managing knowledge obsolescence and just managing obsolescence in general. I mean, things things move so very quickly now. and there will be technologies, there will be applications, there will be, uh, ve- life will be look very differently and act very differently in five years. And so how do we manage uh, um, prudently, uh, because we're nonprofits and, and we take uh, governmental money sometimes and the money of other people, uh, how, how do we remain prudent but still know that in five years, what we have now is going to be obsolete and we'll need to change it. So, you know, this really boils down to literacy. Um, and that's certainly, you know, a focus for an organization that, that it really wants to wrap its arms around what digital means to it is, is about, it all starts with literacy. I know Carolyn talks about this um, uh, a lot. And so building the capability from a lit, you know from a literary standpoint within an organization is, is somewhat of a key to managing this obsolescence so you know you, you've got to understand this stuff um, within uh, within an organization and it is it is tough you know I think the there are there are different ways to approach that, you know, so formal, you know, building formal literacy within an organization around this stuff. But I think more important is the informal um, kind of literacy building that goes on, you know, establishing informal networks of support within an organization where you are trying to teach the whole organization about this stuff. Um, and, and, and then part of the challenge is, you know, a lot of the tools that the institutions are now starting to use around digital are, they have no control over them. And I think that's really where the, the key to trying to define the problem and solve it is, you know, you, you don't have control. We, we, institutions need to become tool users, and that's part of the, the literacy um, kind of initiative is to understand, you know, what, understand what your own problems are and then what tools can help you solve those things. So, you know, it used to be certainly around digital and technology, we were tool creators, you know, so a classic example is, you know, we would to build a website, you'd need a programmer and a designer and all, you know, a database administrator and all those kinds of things. You know, now you just need a, a credit card, you know, literally you can go to a, a website provider and, and build your own website. All the, all the tools are there. So then your requirement is not to have the, the skill set to, to build the thing, it's the skill set to figure out what is the appropriate tool to use for your particular problem. And so that's really, um, that, that's a change in kind of education and professional development that, that is required on the part of institutions. And I think what leadership don't understand is that, you know, 
A, just because you're 25 doesn't mean you know how to do, you know, social media and, and those kinds of things. That, that you've really got to create capacity and give staff time to be familiar with these, these tools. And, and a lot of that is, is experimentation because, you know, it used to be that you, you got a, you got an application and there was a big manual and you read the manual and then you knew the, the product. You know, nowadays it's, nothing comes with a user manual, you know. So Twitter never came with a user manual. You just got to figure out how to use it. You've got to watch what your peers are doing with it and learn um, by, which is kind of evolutionarily speaking, is is how everyone has learned by just watching other people do stuff and and choosing, you know, and and then improving it in, in some way. So it really is at a fundamental level. It's about building literacy in the organization first before you try and figure out, you know, even to, to define a problem. Well, and it occurs to me that this goes back to another theme that is that uh, many of my guests uh, touch upon on on the show, and that is a comfort in risk taking, because if uh, you know, my area of expertise and and uh, where I, I'm helping my clients uh, has always been in exhibition development, and and now I'm helping my clients not only in the process uh, and application of exhibition development, but how can we do it quickly? How can we spend perhaps more time on testing and understanding our audience, but then less time on worrying about all the bits and pieces? Because if we take three years to develop the exhibition, everything will be different. So how do we, that goes to that nimbleness, but I think nimbleness also means that comfort with risk to say, you know, we may not get it all right the first time, but we'll keep after it the more we learn. Right. And I think, you know, certainly that kind of specific example is the separating out, you know, so we're really talking about, and this is really what digital is, is is about creating intellectual property. You know, it's about information and, and assets. And separating out that information um, from the actual t- tool as much as possible, you know, so you can be nimble if a tool um, it, it suddenly stops being supported or something. You can easily get out your intellectual property, that data and information that is important to you. And, and I think, you know, that's you know, certainly in, in museums, the, the way you talk about stuff, the, the, the content that you create has a much longer, longer you know, has a much more longevity, and and certainly, you know, one of my kind of principles is helping institutions understand that content has to outlive devices. So you've got to figure out how to separate those those things, and um, that that's a challenge. And I think also, you know, certainly around um, risk and and innovation. You know, innovation doesn't need to be you know a shiny gadget. You know, innovation, the literal definition of it is you know doing something new and different, and that can be. That can be something, you know, shiny, or it can be just changing the way you, you do stuff from a process stand, standpoint. And then I think the whole issue of risk really is it, it needs leadership and, and particularly the director to actually stand up and say in a, you know, in an open forum, I, you know, I want you guys to take risks. I want you to do it in a measured way, you know, so you know, mitigate the 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 size of the the failures you really have to have leaders say this because you it can't be um you know it can't be 
it, it's hard to, I guess, anticipate. But actually, when talking about risk, and, and something I've noticed just from a, a kind of a museum administrative point of view, is the whole interview process, and I have a, a big issue with this, you know, interview processes, particularly if you have HR people who have, you know, who are trained in the interview process, it's designed to filter out risk takers, which is really ironic. So, you know, and it's, it all goes back to, you know, those questions you get about what would you do in a in certain uh, situation is to figure out what a risk, how risky an employee you are. So, you know, my belief is that, you know, the hiring process actually filters out risk takers from entering um, certainly some museums. And then yes. everyone's expected to start taking risks, but you don't have people who are comfortable taking risks uh, for whatever reason. So right. it, it really is a challenge. Yes, no, I, I I agree with you completely, and we could go on for another hour, but we can't. Yes, so I'm going to thank you, Nick, for being on the show and just uh, filling my Friday with lots of great ideas and wonderful conversations. Thank you so much. I thoroughly enjoyed it, and it's always a pleasure talking with you, Carol. Thank you, thank you, and Happy we will Friday. be back next week. Uh, thank you. Uh, back next week with another episode of Museum Life. So please stay tuned. Uh, this is Carol Bossert for Museum Life. Thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in this week to Museum Life. Please join your host, Carol Bossert, again next Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. What museum issue is on your mind? Tell Carol at carol.bossert at verizon.net.